You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, we'll be talking about the Who. Who's next? In the room, I have Rob, Hi, Ben, Who, and John. Hello. Who's next? Is the fifth studio album by English rock band The Who. It was released on August 1971 on Track and Decca Records. The producer was The Who, John, uh, Glenn Johns, Chris Stamp, Kit Lambert, and Peter Cameron. And the genre is hard rock. By 1970, The Who had obtained significant critical and commercial success, branching out to one of the first rock operas, Tommy, but they had started to become detached from their original youthful mod rocker audience with their heady, ambitious projects. The group had also started to drift apart from manager Kit Lambert, owing to his preoccupation with their label track records. After they had been touted as one of, if not the best live band, they released a live album to back it up. Peter Townsend, in particular, recognized that they needed to do something new. Townsend tackled a new project called Lifehouse, a futuristic rock opera that was to be a live recorded concept album that would also be a film. After gaining little traction with label and Townsend's own frustrations with the project, the band's future seemed to be in question of what to do now. The Lifehouse project was abandoned, but provided enough of a creative catalyst so that Who's Next Sound is well ahead of its time. Synthesizers kick off the album. As soon as Townsend's patented power chords kick in, you can feel the Who have accomplished something spectacular. From there, the album runs the gamut of ballads, like the classic Behind Blue Eyes to the All Out Assault, Won't Get Fooled Again. It's a diverse album that reflects all that is fun, painful, and joyous about rock and roll. All right, what do we think of Who's Next by The Who? I love Who's Next. I do too. Yeah, it's really good. It's great. It's a great album by a great band. Maybe their best album. I I owned it once. I owned it once and I sold it. I was like, well, it's it's got that song I like at the beginning and... Then I just was like, ah, I'm done. And then I listened to it again. I'm like, God damn it. This whole thing's great. I think front to back, um, there's not really a... There's a, not a stinker. No, no. I, I didn't skip over anything, like doing the listening a few times through. Like, yeah, and I think it, it it's probably from all the time that they actually had to reflect and to kind of go back. And they got a little bit of time from that, uh, that live album to give them a leeway to, mm-hmm. to not just pump something out immediately. And I think it's, you know, his uh, creative vision of doing Lifehouse, but then that kind of falling apart, but then bringing it back into the the sort of like rock spectrum. Yeah. They didn't go too far out. No, no. It like Townshend's a a good songwriter and like his 
songwriting chops have been growing from just like the basic like maximum R&B. Yeah, and they, he's getting into like like Tommy and stuff like that, and he's like really flexing his songwriting skills, but he's getting further away from yeah the rock and roll, like uh, just like the hard rockiness that the Who is known for. I think that Who's Next is just a the sweet spot. They're nice, they're dynamic, like they're they're well crafted rock songs without sacrificing any of the heaviness. You know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think it had that project not fallen apart, we would have been treated with a real, real crap album, man. Yeah, if these same songs were given kind of like the overblown orchestral treatment of Tommy, it wouldn't be as good. Like that style of songwriting, but then treated just like a standard hard rock album is... That's where it works. That's where it works. Yeah. I don't know. And they are pushing their boundaries some to add, I mean, like, I don't know, is it... I mean, it's it's synth on a lot of the songs, but then also, is it pitch bend on a lot of those songs that's adding sort of, like, the, the technique to the noises that you're hearing in, like, Bob O'Reilly and... The, the Bob O'Reilly thing was just a... Uh, it was an organ running through a, uh, I guess, an, an ARP, uh, like, sequencer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was off the original, uh, like... He had a demo version of yeah. that that he said had over two uh, between two thousand and three thousand cuts, oh, like wow. to get that <laughs> thing down. Uh, it, yeah, it was kind of like homage to Terry Riley and and uh, Maher Baba. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I had never known that. That's where the name came from. I, I guess his, I just kind of took it for granted. His, spirit, <laughs> his, his spiritual and and musical influences. That's so cool. And. That uh, sequenced pattern of notes is like based on their like vital life signs. Like he like plugged like their health stats into like, and, like, that, and like, generated <laughs> like the, yeah. I thought well, he said that he, he wanted it to sound like if he had put him through a computer, and I think he kind of did. So he he actually grabbed stats. I think that he plugged in like actual huh. stats from these dudes to generate. Like those yeah, notes in I'm, that order. I mean, we we create electrical like we, there's like a, a field like around you, anyways. But like uh, if if you're just using control voltage, yeah, I'm pretty sure you'd be able to hook something up to where <laughs> like your your pulse could go directly into yeah, a, yeah, a thing. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, huh? It's cool, and you know, like there's a lot of like especially now we're in '71. More and more people are experimenting with the synth. But so much of what we've heard with the synthesizer in rock and roll so far is used kind of like as a lead instrument with like flourishes, like like on top. Like they'll record the stuff and be like, oh, this studio's got a synth in it. Like let's record some synth lines and put it over. But this, like their treatment of it almost as like a drone instrument through a yeah. lot of this album, just kind of like the bass, just like it's just laying underneath the whole album. And that's a really cool use of a like a relatively new instrument. I think he's enough of a visionary to understand how to how to use that instrument, not just saying, "Oh, it's another guitar," or "Oh, mm-hmm. it's another." It's like a keyboard or organ or whatever. It's it's like something that is unique and it needs to be ident- like played uniquely. Yeah, it, I, it can't just. Th- have be you seen put a picture in. of what that yeah, modular saw, looks like? I saw the it's, modular. The ARP yeah. Thing? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like it's it's like it, a wall of yeah, knobs it, and, it, it, and I mean, buttons. Th- th- this very well may be the same thing they had in uh, the uh, 
that Spielberg movie, Close Encounters. Oh, yeah. Like that, that was an ARP like synthesizers that he used at the end of that or at the end of that thing. So yeah, I mean that that's that's insanely big. Um, I, I have no idea like what model that was. It, may, it was probably custom made for him. Uh, he said that the organ was a TBO one organ, and he ran it through an ARP synthesizer. Said he he used the marimba repeating setting on his uh, Lowry to create the arpeggio in the complex repeating pattern. Yeah, that, oh. that's so basically it's it's your typical combo organ like the dun 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 dun, yeah. dun but having the marimba on it and yeah. then feeding that. <laughs> <through>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the song we're listening to right now is uh, My Wife, track four, which uh, John Entwistle's... My wife. Uh, his, yeah. It's his wife. Uh, John Entwistle's uh, writing composition to the album, but he not only wrote it, he also, he's singing lead vocals, he's playing bass, he's playing piano, and all the horns on this track. And he's getting sued. <laughs> he is? Yeah, he got sued over this song. Over this song? By, yeah. by whom? By... Uh, I believe, By his wife. I believe his, his ex-wife. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's weird. For just like what? For slander? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, 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 the song's about, so in the story of the song, the guy gets drunk and he spends the night in the drunk tank, <laughs> but he's certain that his wife won't believe him, that she'll, she'll think that he was out with a woman. So it's almost comical. He's talking about like, like putting on armor and stuff to go home. <laughs> like, he, like, he, like all the stuff he's doing to like prepare for the wrath of, of, yeah. Wife. At the end of yeah, the refrain is like she's coming. Like she's like she's fucking Godzilla. <laughs> uh, Robert Mitchum of Pitchfork calls this song the only listenable song of Entwistle's writing career. <laughs> I haven't listened to much uh, solo solo John Entwistle. player, but I guess I haven't really thought about him writing a song. Yeah. I didn't huh. know he wrote any. I didn't know he wrote this one until yeah. I was reading about it today. Yeah, that's the only one on the album that wasn't originally part of the Lifehouse project. Yeah. All the other songs are, I guess, supposed to fit, fit like thematic elements of the, the storyline of Lifehouse. That makes sense. It has the most just kind of standard kind of like who... Uh, yeah, or it, it felt like, a little Beatles esque to me. Like it kind of had that just sort of like rock and roll. Is, pop. Light, is Lifehouse a contemporary Christian band? <laughs> it was, they, uh, they had a. They, yeah. It was a. Ba- they had a hit in like the early aughts. Yeah, yeah. I remember, so I remember there was a news story about them on like 2020 or something, and they was interviewing the singer from this band Lifehouse, and he was like. Well, yeah, we really didn't want to pick a name that someone else already had and maybe get sued over it. So, so we paid this guy like a few hundred dollars to find a name that no one else had. Like, you are a moron, and I'm glad someone separated you from your money. <laughs> uh, uh, that's good. But uh, uh, th- these songs all 
originally being from like a, a, a concept project, it does make sense because there's some themes that yeah. like, that go through this whole album, both musical themes and 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 thematic themes, like just like the the power of music uh, and like the like the vibrations of the music and just like that, just like like the the healing power, the communicative power. Uh, and I think that that's kind of what Lifehouse was gonna be about. It was yeah. like it's kind of like the Matrix with rock. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like people like were in their pods. Yeah. And then like this guy figured out a way to like plug them into the amp and play them some rock into their pods, and they're like, "We don't need these pods. We got the Who or something." Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like yeah, exactly. It had a lot of those like Matrix, Ready Player One. Yeah. You know, experiencing the world through you know, just a, a haptic suit or whatever. And then, yeah, you've got all these songs that are about, like, being out in the country and being free and, yeah. you know, experiencing the natural world and how that's much better than just, like, being connected to your experience yeah. tub. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then he went, like, double crazy on top of that, which is, like, what you were talking about, the plugging the data into the machine to make the sound. He's a visionary. Right. I think the concept, supposedly, was both for the the storyline of Lifehouse and to actually do at shows would be to find each person's note or sound. And so you would take all this data, their astrological charts, their, you know, uh, iron content in their blood or whatever, and you'd just make a tone. And then when everybody gets on the right vibration, you teleport into a world of pure rock. It sounds like they're getting in tune. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like what... I feel like the Flaming Lips were trying to do it later shows or whatever, where I was trying to have this weird, like, concert-goer experience where yeah. it was supposed to be, like, you come to to experience a, a happening, if you will, uh, in the, like, 60s, where it was everything was, like, projected into the band, and then the band would, like, filter through and, and play the music or something. Did you, uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, much Aphex Twin or Richard James, but, like, his, uh, his he, he somehow forced the image of his face into a waveform. So if you look at through it, like, on the song Equation, if you look at it, it's just this horrifying face <laughs> of his <laughs> as it's going through. That guy yeah. in Whoa. his face. Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, so, yeah, he, yeah. he, he kind of did it later, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know. How cool is the album cover to this record? I think it's pretty cool. cool. So I owned it for a few years before I realized they had just peed on that thing. <laughs> it's, it's them standing <laughs> in, only like... One, only one actually uh, peed. Actually peed. According, according to the peed. data, only one of them <laughs> yeah, actually the, peed. The other one squirted some water on it. Like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. poured some, some rainwater yeah. or whatever. I had no idea, though, that the, the sky is just a... Uh, they superimposed. Superimposed, yeah. yeah. I was I was like, I have no idea where it is, but very cool. So it's like a concrete monolith in a, in like a trash heap or something? It's a swag or? field. Yeah, yeah, it's a reference to uh, 2001, the monolith. So, piss on the future. Yeah, one, once, I, once, I, yeah. once I figured out that they had peed on that, and that's what you're looking at, it's so obvious. I mean, like, three of the members of the band are buckling their pants. Right. You know? It took me a minute, too. Yeah. When, it, when you first see it, you're I like, I thought it oh, was their shadows there's... for a right. minute. Yeah. Like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> why, is that, why is that one so small? <laughs> well, I guess there were other potential covers as well. Oh, like, yeah. it's the whole Calvin thing. Like, what's he going to pee on next? So I guess they had like one where they were 
peeing on a stack of marshals. Mm-hmm. They, had, uh, they had one where it was Keith like a, Moon. It was well, they had one with Keith Moon, like <laughs> dressed in what, what, like lingerie and a wig and, and a wig and a whip yeah. or something. They, yeah. they had one it was like of bond, like bondage stuff of like a, <laughs> a like a large nude woman with their faces superimposed over her genitals. <laughs> <laughs> All four. I, so. I haven't seen it. I read about it. I haven't seen a picture of it. Right. I'd like to see that though. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to make like a verbal joke on like who's next, like all of those fit, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah, I think they chose uh, wisely. Yeah, on this of one. the potential yeah. options. Yeah. Oh, the Keith Moon one would have been pretty interesting. I mean, if you want to see Keith Moon and drag, you don't need to look very far. Oh no, Mm-mm. that's yeah. that's out there. Yeah. Good to know. The kids are all right. You can see him with like a gimp suit, I think. He's a clown. He's <laughs> <laughs> a good drummer, though. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. Keith Moon, I think on this album, he reined in his flamboyance yeah. enough to make it really effective. Because when he opens up on this album, he opens up uh, like multiple times on this album, and it and it. It really works, and other p- times he's still playing really powerful, but he's exercising any restraint, which he, he had not done at all before. It's true. Uh, on a lot of Who songs, you can just hear Keith Moon playing lead drums, essentially, mm-hmm. over top of like uh, choruses or over top of even verses. In this one, he, you're right. He does like rein this in. So that it's it, those fills are there when they when they should be or when they need to be, still very interesting you oh, know, yeah. style. Mm-hmm. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's not just going buck wild on everything. He yeah. balanced out the speed with some ludes. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Well, so it, he doesn't. There's there's no drums in the first half of Behind Blue Eyes. Of course, the second half there's plenty of drums. Right. But the first half of Behind Blue Eyes uh, that they would say that's the the longest Keith Moon ever sat still. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, does all, does anybody else here on getting in tune uh, uh, live or let die? Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. Now that you mention it, yeah. Da-na-na. Yeah. Da-na-na. And even Sorry. the even the That's breakdown because yeah. the, once they go to the the bridge or whatever, it's a little you know yeah yeah. <laughs> it's a little strange for me Man. when I heard it. I was like, right. Is anyone else like? pretty surprised that no cell phone company has used going mobile in an ad campaign <laughs> uh the who are notorious for uh i think holding their rights oh really at, at least until oh except for like all of those like svu shows or whatever csi shows right because each one of them has a different who song as do they really yeah the, the whole franchise it's like one of the threads that ties it together uh they probably think that's funny <laughs> <laughs> uh which one has behind blue eyes? Uh, Legion. Th- that's, Legion uh, has it. That'd be Buffy. Yeah. That'd be Buffy. That'd yeah. be Giles. Giles. <laughs> uh, did I tell you guys that the first time we're listening to Behind Blue Eyes right now, great track, and the first time I heard this song was when it was performed by Giles on Buffy at an open mic, and I just thought that the character wrote the song, and I'm like, wow, what a poignant song for this vampire <laughs> comedy. <laughs> you know? Was that Giles or Ripper? It, well, Ripper. <laughs> no, it was Giles. Oh, no, it was, it Giles. was Giles. Yeah, because yeah, it wasn't backwards in time. It was just okay. him yeah. revisiting his Ripper days. So remember, he's like, he's like, all right, guys, you uh, study your schoolwork. I've got to hit the hay. And they're like, wonder where Giles is going. And they find him at a coffee shop with an acoustic guitar playing <laughs> behind blue eyes. And it, it really stuck with me. I'm like, man, 
this is a like a fun goofy show, but that song's good. And then, like a few years later was when I got who's next. I was like, oh shit, it's the child song. No one knows what it's like to be the Batman. <laughs> to be the sad man. No one knows what it's like to be the Batman. To be the sad man. Behind blue eyes. No one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. But my dreams, they aren't as empty as my conscience seems to be. Uh, I don't. I don't know what else to say. This is an awesome album. It's uh, fantastic. <clears throat> People Each should listen boss. to this record. It's. It, I will say too. It's tracked very well. Yeah, it's not. It's never a slog. No, ex- exactly. You know, kicking off with Baba O'Reilly, and then keeping keeping it going, and then kind of having that wistful uh, behind blue eyes, and then like bringing it to a head with uh, "Won't Get Fooled Again" as like an ultimate rocker to kind of leave you feeling awesome. Uh, yeah. The eight bars of drum solo in Won't Get Fooled Again is the correct length of drum solo. That's that's how, how that, long... That's, it, that's about how long you can get it before it starts to piss me off. Okay. <laughs> We've already talked about how Keith Moon couldn't play in three, right? Uh, has that been discussed? Happened. Yeah. Okay, good. All yeah. Right. Yeah, he... he He's, he's, he's like the best drummer yeah. who ever lived, but three was like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> now, those those <clears throat> those eight bars, though, and Won't Get Fooled Again, they're like perfection. That drum feature, it's as melodic as drums can get. It, it, it's, it's cool. It's very musical, and it builds, and it gets to the end with the the best scream in a career of screams. Yeah. It's, it's just, mwah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's every. It's kind of the Who's high point. I think it's, I, I think it's my favorite. I it's don't know a if really I would say good it's the, song. The best, it's one but. of those songs that if it comes on the radio and I'm like almost home, I sit in my car until it's done because yeah. I've got to hear the drums and the scream. Yeah. Also, meet the new boss. <laughs> Same as the old yeah. boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great lyrics too. Yeah. We didn't even mention and, and the whole the, album closes with that. The lyrics are yeah. uh, are pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, once you know that they're sort of associated with like a thematic idea. They, they seem a little bit more like as if it were a musical, but it doesn't detract from them. Yeah. It doesn't feel so heavy handed as Tommy. Yeah. And... <laughs> no, you, you, you can have conceptual themes without being, without being a musical. Exactly. Yeah. Right like, now we're listening to going mobile. I know we've already talked about it, but I forgot to mention this song was recorded as a power trio. Uh, Daltrey is not on this recording. It's, uh, oh. it's just Keith Moon, John Entwistle and Pete Townsend, uh, and, uh, Townsend singing. Yeah. Yeah, and you can hear that tasteful, tasteful synth. Tasty, tasty synth. <laughs> uh, that's the correct. Yeah. Also, again, I always mention, I think on every Who album, is whoever mixes, whoever gets the levels for the Who, I always find them to be like spot on. Yeah. Like I don't think that the, the drums or the bass or the guitar are out of uh You can hear the everything. Sync. You can everything hear everything right where it needs to sit. Exactly. Yeah. 
It all feels real good. All right, what do we think? Yeah, listen yeah, to it. Yeah. A plus. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, go 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 get it. Yeah, positive. Everybody's on the positive. Yeah. Great album. Uh looking forward to some more who. Which What else are we getting? I don't know when we'll get I'm sure we'll get something else, but I don't know. Like when. what would it be? Quadrophenia? <clears throat> Quadrophenia probably. You think that'll be in the book? Probably. It's ambitious. I don't know if it's great. We'll see. All right. All right. Next time we'll be talking about Carol King Tapestry. Tapestries. Yeah. All right. Thanks y'all. <laughs>